you have a Bible, we're going to go back to Mark chapter 8 tonight, starting in chapter 8, and we'll read the first 26 verses there. Mark chapter 8, and Father, I just ask you, Lord, that once again you'll meet with us and speak to us clearly and show us the importance of spiritual blindness, that you can heal us from that and that you will open our eyes and our understanding to see what we need to see and you're faithful to do that. And we can come to you and trust you that you will give us the sight we need. And I thank you that you'll do that for us here tonight in Jesus' name. So beginning in verse 1, it says, In those days the multitude being very great and having nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples unto him and saith unto them, I have compassion on the multitude because they have now been with me three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away fasting to their own houses, they will faint by the way, for divers of them came from far. And his disciples answered him, From whence can a man satisfy these men with bread here in the wilderness? And he asked them, How many loaves have you? And they said, Seven. And he commanded the people to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves and gave thanks and break, and gave to his disciples to set before them, and they did set them before the people. And they had a few small fishes, and he blessed and commanded to set them also before them. And so they did eat and were filled, and they took up of the broken meat that was left seven baskets. And they that had eaten were about four thousand, and he sent them away. And straightway he entered into a ship with his disciples, and came into the parts of Dalmathnutha. And the Pharisees came forth and began to question with him, seeking of him a sign from heaven, and tempting him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit, and saith, Why does this generation seek after a sign? Verily I say unto you, There shall be no sign given unto this generation." And he left them, and entering into the ship again, departed to the other side. Now the disciples had forgotten to take bread, neither had they in the ship with them more than one loaf. And he charged them, saying, Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the leaven of Herod. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, It is because we have no bread. And when Jesus knew it, he said unto them, Why reason ye because you have no bread? Perceive ye not yet? Neither understand? Have ye your heart yet hardened? Having eyes, see ye not? And having ears, hear ye not? And do you not remember? When I break the five loaves among the five thousand, how many baskets full of fragments took you up? And they said, Twelve. And when the seven among four thousand, how many baskets full of fragments took you up? And they said, Seven. And he said unto them, Well, then, how is it that you do not understand? And he cometh to Bethsaida, and they bring him a blind man unto him, and besought him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand, and led him out of the town. And when he had spit on his eyes, and put his hands upon him, he asked him if he saw aught. And he looked up and said, Well, I see men as trees walking. And after that he put his hands again upon his eyes, and made him look up. And he was restored, and saw every man clearly." And he sent him away to his house, saying, Neither go into the town, nor tell it to any in the town. So the theme of this chapter is, the broad theme is spiritual blindness. So it's about the ability to see and perceive spiritual truth. Because there's spiritual eyes that all of us had. Paul calls them the eyes of your understanding. Or really the Greek word is cardias, which is where we get our word cardiac or heart. The eyes of your heart. And so before the grace of God comes into our lives, everybody has eyes that are blinded to truth, to God, to Jesus, to our spiritual condition. We're totally blind. 
And Paul says this about the Gentiles in Ephesians, the unbelieving world. He says they have their understanding is darkened. They can't see anything. They don't see their lost state. They don't see the grace of God. They don't see the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's impossible. They can't see any of that. And that we have here, that is the conditions of the Pharisees that causes this rare reaction that we see here in Jesus in verse 12 where it says, he sighs deeply in his spirit. I mean, it's like you guys are so blind and you're wearing me out. We'll talk about that in a minute. And it also is the condition of his disciples. And we see that in verses 17, 18, and 21. He says, when Jesus knew it, he said unto them, why reason ye because you have no bread? Perceive ye not yet? Neither ye understand? Has your heart yet hardened? Have you hardened your heart? Having ears, don't you see? And having ears, don't you hear yet? Don't you remember? And back down in verse 21, how is it that you do not understand? And we actually, with Peter, that condition prevails with him. Because we'll see how this applies, but he gets his eyes open, doesn't he? He says, has a revelation, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. But then when Jesus explains his mission, he can't see that. And Jesus has to rebuke him. Get thee behind me, because he could not see everything clearly yet, but he had some revelation. So much of the chapter, in a way, so to me, it may sound negative. This is not meant to be a negative message, but much of the chapter is negative. But the main point that I want us to see tonight is positive, and it's found right there in those verses of that blind man that are brought to him in verses 22 to 26. And that is, if you can come to the Lord Jesus Christ, he will and can restore your spiritual vision to where you can see clearly, even if, and it does, none of us understands everything right away, even if it comes gradually and in stages. So a physical healing is what takes place there in verses 22 to 26. It benefits that blind man greatly. But I think God through Mark, where it's placed and what he's trying to do is teach a great spiritual truth. And that is that if we will continue to walk with Jesus, if we won't resist his truth, if we will seek him in faith, he will give us wisdom and understanding about him, his nature, who he is, what he's promised us, everything we need to know. He'll open our eyes to that and we will see clearly. We talked about this a few weeks ago or last week. The great purpose of the coming of the Messiah and the kingdom of God is Isaiah 35. Say to them that are of a fearful heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, even God with a recompense. He will come and save you, and then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped, and then shall the lame man leap as in heart, and the tongue of the dumb shall sing. So listen, physical restoration is one great purpose in the kingdom of God because the devil, the enemy, has wrecked humanity with disease, pain, and misery, hasn't he? I mean, that is what he's done. And it says in the beginning of Genesis, God didn't make us that way, did he? He didn't make humans that way. When he looked at all of creation, he says, behold, it is very good, is what he said. That's what he saw. And that's the way it's going to be in his kingdom. When we pray thy kingdom come, when his kingdom is fully manifested on his earth, all of that stuff is going to be a distant memory. Never remember that. That's what he wants for his people. And so when Jesus came, that's what came. Restoration. 
God, Peter said, anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good, restoring the very good that God had given us initially, and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. And we know this, verse 2, John says, For this purpose the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. And so we know that the only work of the devil is not physical deformities and illness. Because it also says this, that the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. So Satan's done another work that Jesus has to deliver us from, not just physical but spiritual blindness. He's blinded eyes that need to be opened. That's all of us to one degree or another. And so I believe, I talked about this, I said I didn't get into the spiritual significance of the healing of the deaf man, but I believe the healing of that deaf man that we saw last week in Mark 7 and the healing of the blind man that we're seeing here today in chapter 8, while they're just bringing physical blessings to those people, and it's an encouragement to our faith for healing. If you're blind or deaf or have a speech impediment, that should be a great encouragement. That is part of the gospel and the good news, right? The restoration. But I also think it's pointing to a spiritual truth, that spiritual blindness and deafness can be overcome by the touch of the Lord Jesus Christ. So none of us, listen, none of us has the spiritual vision that God wants us to have or that we need. None of us does. He's constantly opening our understanding. I hope he is. Open in your understanding to more of him, to more of his ways, to more of what we need to be doing. Because Job was a godly man. And you go and read through Job and he lists everything he did. He lived a righteous, holy life, not just for a day or two. That is the way Job was. And yet, Job said this at the end. God put him through a trial. A major trial took everything away from him. And here is what this godly man says. He said, I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear. And we've heard a lot of things here, haven't we? And Job had probably heard a lot of things. I have heard of these, says, by the hearing of the ear. He says, but now, coming through this, and God gives him a revelation, speaks to him out of the whirlwind. He says, but now my eye. He's not talking about his physical eye. He's talking about this eye. He said, I've heard a lot about you and heard about a lot of things and how I should be. And he goes, but now I'm seeing you for who you really are. And that's what we need to desire, having that spiritual vision. So John 9, we've got three cases in the New Testament of the Lord spitting and healing. We've seen two of them. We read one tonight. We looked at one last week. And the third one is that blind man in John 9. And Jesus comes to him and says he spits in the mud and anoints. What a way to be anointed, huh? We use oil, but... You never know. I might have to get some rocks out of the dirty gravel out of there and spit that and wipe it on your eyes. But anyways, he's spitting the dirt and anointed that man's eyes and says, I want you to go wash in the pool of Siloam. And if you ever look on a map of a Bible map, I mean, that was no small journey for a blind man to make. That was from one end of town to the other. It was on winding roads up and down staircases. It would not have been an easy thing for him to do. And he's walking there with his stuff on his eyes, had to look funny, had to feel funny. And it says, though, that he obeyed. He went his way, therefore, and washed and came seen. And he comes back, and everybody's marveling at this. The neighbors, his friends, all the people, they can't believe it. And they take him to the Pharisees and show them what happened. And what's their response to that? They said, 
about Jesus? They said, this man is not of God because he keeps not the Sabbath day. Typical response from the Pharisees. But then it says, but others said, how can a man that is a sinner do such miracles? And it says there was a division. And so they asked the man that had his eyes healed, well, what do you think about him? And he says, well, I think he's a prophet. Because that's how much he could see at that point. That was where he was at. I think he's a prophet. Some still didn't believe that he was born blind, so they bring his parents before this whole crowd, the Pharisees, the friends, just everybody, all the, whoever, Jews, it doesn't say how many people there. They bring him then, and they said, is this your son that was born blind? They said, yeah, that's our son, sure enough, and we'll tell you for sure he was born blind. But one thing we're not going to tell you, we don't know how he got healed, because it said they were afraid they're going to get kicked out of the synagogue. So they're like, well, we just can't tell you how he got healed. And so they get the man there and they ask him. And they say, hey, give God the praise for we know that this man is a sinner. They ask that blind man and here's the man's answer. He goes, well, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. I don't know anything about that. But one thing he says, I do know that whereas I was blind, he says, now I see. And so they ask him again, would you just tell us then how he did it? And he's like, look, I've already told you. He said, so if I tell you again, does that mean you're going to be one of his disciples too? And they're like, we're not one of his disciples. No, we're Moses' disciples is what they say. And it said when he said that, they reviled him. They're not happy. They should be rejoicing. It says they reviled him and they cast him out. And if you would, just turn to John 9. I want to show you that this was a physical healing that took place, but there's a definite spiritual application here. So if you would turn to John 9 and look at what it says, beginning in verse 35, John 9, 35. And it says, when Jesus heard that they had cast that blind man out, and when he went and found him, and he said unto him, do you believe on the Son of God? And he answered and said, well, who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? And Jesus said unto him, you have both seen him, and it is he that talks with thee. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. And Jesus said, for judgment, I am come into this world that they which see might not see and they which see might be made blind. And some of the Pharisees which were with him heard these words and said unto him, are we blind also? And Jesus said unto them, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say we see, and therefore, he says, your sin remains. So listen, that man received physical restoration of his eyes. He was born blind. It wasn't even a restoration there. He never had eyes to see out of. He might not have had eyeballs in his eye sockets for all we know. I don't know. That might have been a literal creative miracle. But that's a tremendous miracle, isn't it? I mean, if you were him, I mean, man, oh man. But listen, that is nothing. He's saying there was a greater thing that happened then. The greatest thing that happened to that man was not that he could now physically see, but was that he looked up and who's he looking at? The Lord Jesus Christ. And in here, he could see who he was. It says he believed because it was not just his physical eyesight that was restored. It was this that was restored to him. And it says he believed, Lord, I believe. I believe who you are. And it says he worshiped him. That is complete restoration there. Yeah, you get your eyesight restored and end up in hell. Where are you at? But this guy, buddy, the Lord restored him all the way. And I'm saying that's what this is pointing to. 
So that's what that whole physical, oh, it's a physical blessing, just like this man over in Mark. If you turn back there in Mark 8, it's a physical blessing. But it's also put in there and where it's put in there to teach us a spiritual reality. And so back to the beginning of Mark 8, I don't want to go through all of the feeding of the 4,000, but just to put it in context, it's largely a Gentile crowd there. This is where this little Gentile part of his ministry kind of ends. But he feeds their crowd in much the same way. There's some differences, but it's much the same way as he fed the crowd in chapter 6. And so he's been to Tyre, to Sidon, to Decapolis, ending here and feeding that, these crowds. And what's he showing? He's showing, I'm not a savior, a Messiah that is just like David and Moses for Israel. But he's saying, no, I'm a Messiah, a redeemer for the entire world. It's not going to be limited, is what he's saying. And so what this is, is like a pledge of what's to come for the Gentiles, is what we're seeing. He's saying, I healed them, I took care of them, just like I did the Jews. I fed them and I will feed them and teach them all the spiritual and physical benefits that Israel has one day after the resurrection. It's to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. And that's what he's showing. His primary ministry was to the Jews. But he's showing here that, hey, there's coming a time it will be to the Gentiles. And Mark's readers are mainly Gentile readers. That's just a great encouragement to them. And it should be to us because that's what we are. Amen. Bunch of Gentiles sitting in here, as far as I know. One thing I want to point out, though, in his first nine verses there, in verse four, we're getting a little bit of an inkling of what's to come because he tells them, you know, we need to feed these people. In verse four, and the disciples answered him, from whence can a man satisfy these men with bread here in the wilderness? So I'm saying, what should have been the obvious answer to them? How are you going to satisfy these people when we're here in the wilderness? Well, what have they just seen done not that long ago? The obvious answer would have been, Jesus, you can do it again. <laughs> but they couldn't see that. The answer's staying right there. But their understanding is still lacking. So what I want to look at first is beginning down there in verse 10, to see the unbelief of the Pharisees, the blindness and unbelief of the Pharisees, because it's different than the others. So Jesus and his disciples, in verse 10, it says they get into a boat and they leave for what is Dalmanutha. I don't think I said it right the first time, but you try saying that one. Dalmanutha, that's how it is. And so as soon as they step out of the boat, they're met with a group of Pharisees who want to meet them there. And they begin, it says in the King James, to question. Well, they're not just asking honest questions. It's really the word is they want to argue and dispute with him. That's what the word question means. So they're wanting, they say, a sign from heaven. But here's the thing you have to understand. They are not asking for a miracle per se. They're not asking for a miracle. They couldn't deny they'd already seen a lot of miracles. They'd seen many miracles. They just denied that the miracles came from God. Remember that? They're accusing him of operating under another power. That's what they said. Mark 3.22, back there it says, The Pharisee says that he has Beelzebub, and by the prince of the devils cast he out devils. So they attributed his miracle working power to who? To Satan. To the devil. So <laughs> what they want isn't a miracle, but they want a sign. What they're looking for is they want something that is going to show them that this is the guy we want in place. They want something to come down from heaven that show he is going to overthrow Rome. They're wanting that kind of sign from heaven, probably fire to fall down from heaven to give some great exhibition. They say, if we don't see that, we're not going to trust you. 
They're testing him, testing his patience. And look at his response. We already talked about this in verse 12. And it says, when he hears this, when they make this request, it says he sighed deeply. And it's the only place that word's used in the entire New Testament or the entire Bible. So it's not so much a sigh of anger. It gives the impression when you look at it in other places it's used in Greek literature. He's been pushed to his limits. They've like just been coming after him and coming after him. And it's fine. Like He's just like, oh. You know, you're wearing me out. It's like what we talked about out of Malachi 2.17. You have wearied the Lord with your words. And he answers in them, he says, why does this generation, look what it says there. Why does this generation seek after a sign? He says, why does this generation? And it's kind of an echo of Psalm 95.10 where the Lord said this in Psalm 95.10. Forty years long was I grieved with this generation. And said, it is a people that do err in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So when you read Matthew's account over in Matthew 16, it's the exact same account of him feeding the 4,000. When they ask for that sign from heaven, Jesus responds to them. Matthew gives a little more than what Mark does here. And he says, a sign from heaven. Jesus says, you guys ought to be experts on signs from heaven. You know what he went on and told him? He goes, well, when it's the evening and you see a red sky in the evening, you say it's going to be fair weather today. Red sky at night, sailors at night. But he says, when you see one in the morning, you know that you've got problems. Red sky in the morning is the sailor's warning. And he goes on to say, you hypocrites. You guys can look up at the sky and you're great at discerning the weather. You're the weatherman. He goes, you can discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. He said, you want some kind of irrefutable proof that I'm from God? You're saying you want some kind of sign before you're going to accept me? And he's like, I've given you more signs than you'll ever be able to count. And you refuse to believe them. He would say to them, what about that leper that I cleansed? And I had him go to the priest so you all could see what I did there. Irrefutable. You questioned my authority to forgive sins, and here's a man that is carried in there that can't walk, and to show you that I had that authority, that I am God and have that authority, I commanded that man to get up and walk. It happened right in front of you. And you're saying you want a sign? And he's saying, I gave you biblical answers. When you came and asked, why do I eat with sinners? Why do my disciples fast? Why are we eating grain on the Sabbath? I gave you biblical answers that you knew were right. You knew they were right, but you didn't like what I said. And then there's a man with a withered hand right in your midst. You can't deny that happened. Had him right in your midst. And right before your eyes, boom, that hand was restored. Because what I was I trying to teach you then? Trying to teach you this is God's purpose on the Sabbath. To do good, to heal, to bless man. Not to leave them the way they are. And you all are saying you want a sign? And he would say, I've made the lame to walk, the blind to see, cleanse lepers, raise the dead. Not just any dead, not some obscure girl that you wouldn't know about, but no, the ruler of the synagogue, his daughter. You would know about him and her. Everyone knew about what happened there. They're laughing at me. And you all are saying you want a sign? You're experts in the scriptures and you can't see that the scriptures that you're experts in are clearly pointing to this is what the Messiah will do. And he's saying you guys want a sign. 
saying those are the signs that God has given you. And they're many and they're clear and they're obvious to anybody that wants to see them. And he's basically telling them, you all are not going to dictate to me or God the signs that you see. You're not going to dictate that. And he goes on, he says, verily, in that verse 12, he says, verily I say unto you, there shall no sign be given unto this generation. So what is the cause of the Pharisees' spiritual blindness? And one man said this, and I thought, this is it right here. All blindness, he said, has moral roots. Moral roots is what causes blindness, the condition of your heart. So what was the condition of their heart? Time after time after time, they stubbornly refused to come to the light and to receive the light and to accept the light. Isn't that the way it was? If you go back and you read Mark, if you're going to study the Bible at all, you go back and you read Mark. Those first few times they came with him, he didn't just blow them off. He took the time to explain to them, this is what I'm doing. Here's why I'm healing this man. Here's where my authority comes from. He did that. But, you know, once they plotted to kill him, it all takes a different turn. And when they accuse him of operating by the spirit of Satan, it all takes a different turn at that point. It takes a different turn. John 3, 19 to 20 says this, and this is the condemnation that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone that does evil hates the light, neither comes to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. And so what we're being warned of here ourselves is coming to the Lord Jesus Christ for the wrong reason. Or in other words, we need to come to him for the right reason, don't we? Not to argue with him, not to dispute him, not to demand a sign from him, but because we see he is holy and righteous and good and a gracious God. We want to walk in the truth of his word. Because here's the danger we're seeing there. Those that will not walk in the truth of his word... The Sermon on the Mount, for instance, they don't love his truth. They have pleasure in unrighteousness. They will end up as these men. They'll end up as sign seekers. And they will eventually, somebody's going to come on the scene that will accommodate them. And he's maybe already here. I don't know. Because 2 Thessalonians says this, Then shall the wicked be revealed whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan. And here's how he's going to come with all power and signs and lying wonders. So in other words, there is going to be one coming that will do the things the Pharisees are looking for. There's someone that's going to come. You're looking for that kind of God. I will be that kind of God. In fact, all of the world is going to fall for it, except for the few. Lying wonders, signs from heaven, and power. It's part of the strong delusion that God is going to send, it says, on those that did not have a love for the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness, that they should believe a lie. And in this very gospel of Mark, Jesus warns us about that. In Mark 13, he says, Take heed, lest any man deceive you. He says, For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ." And shall deceive many. And he goes on to say, For false Christ and false prophets shall rise and shall show signs and wonders to seduce, if it were possible, even the elect. 
but he says, but take ye heed. He says, behold, I have foretold you all things. You imagine? That's the way it's going to be. The seduction of these false apostles, these false prophets, the Antichrist himself is going to be so strong. It says even the very elect, they're scarcely going to make it. But by the grace of God, it's going to be very strong. And I'm telling you, it's already at work in this world. If you can't see it, I'm sorry. Just open your eyes up to what's happening. It's already at work. So what's happening is these Pharisees, they refuse to listen, to see, or to be molded by Jesus. And so thus they become deaf, blind, and hard-hearted. I mean, irreparably hard-hearted. And Jesus calls them blind leaders of the blind. They're leading people. And people are following them. They're influencing people. We're all influencing people. Do you know that? That's a great responsibility. If you're just a dad, you're just somebody that you're influencing by how you're living, what you're believing, what you're saying, the doctrines you hold on to. We're all leading people somehow. But Jesus tells them here, he says, beware. He tells his disciples, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. He's telling them, you don't want to be like them. If you allow them to influence you, you will be like them. And you'll be deaf, blind, and hard-hearted just like they are. So listen, what we need to see is signs and miracles that they're asking for are not going to make us faithful Christians. They're not going to make us faithful Christians. Commitment, though, to the Word of God will. Now let me explain that. In Luke 16, the rich man opens up his eyes in hell after he dies and he begs Abraham, would you please send that beggar Lazarus back to my brothers and have him testify and plead with them and tell them about this place. And he says, no, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. And he goes, no, no, Father Abraham. Oh, please. No, if one rose from the dead and went to them, they would listen to that. And he says, no, they wouldn't. He says, neither will they be persuaded though one rose from the dead. So those that refuse to heed the word, whether it was the spoken word of Jesus then or the written word of God we have now, a miracle, a sign, is not going to convince them. They'll always need another one. They'll always have a reason to explain it away. Trust me, that's the way it'll be. But let me say this on the other side. If we are willing to accept the word for what it says, a sign can encourage us. Okay, so we're there. Turn over to Mark 16. So I'm not saying signs are not there. They are there all through the Bible. Now look at Mark 16, 20. 19, we'll start at 19. So then after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. And they went forth, his disciples, and they preached everywhere. The Lord working with them and confirming the word, how? With signs following. <laughs> so I'd say signs can encourage us. I saw a sign sitting right in front of me there over the weekend. I saw that sister back in the summertime, and I'm saying that was a supernatural sign staring me right in the face. Amen. Now, I didn't need that to believe the word of God, but I'll tell you what, that really encouraged my faith. And I think it did a lot of people here, right? <laughs> a long-term trial most of them we don't see, most long-term trials don't seem to work out that well. Here's a long-term trial with dramatic, I would say dramatic results, right? Yeah, and right. my faith is quickened by hearing of God's faithfulness. Yeah. 
There's nothing wrong with that. That's not what Jesus is talking about there with these hypocritical Pharisees. Let's just look at this, all right? We're going to keep a little upbeat here. So if you would turn to Acts 5 <laughs> to kind of prove that. So signs and wonders aren't all bad. They start happening here. We're not going to rebuke them. <laughs> all right, but look at Acts 5, beginning of verse 12. It says, and by the hands of the apostles were many what? Signs and wonders wrought among the people. And did that discourage them or cause them to give up their faith? I don't think so. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. And the rest durst no man join himself to them, but the people magnified them. So it's funny. They won't join, but look what it says in verse 14. And believers, though, were the more added to the Lord, multitudes both of men and women. And look, here's what those signs and wonders encouraged them to do. 15, insomuch that they brought forth the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and couches, that at the least the shadow of Peter passing by might overshadow some of them. Verse 16, there came also a multitude out of the cities round about into Jerusalem, bringing sick folks and them which were vexed with unclean spirits. And they did just what Jesus did, didn't they? It says they healed every one of them. Praise the Lord. Amen. And you know why? Because once the ball gets rolling, it's hard to stop it in a negative way and also in a positive way. Amen. So if you go back and you read and Mark, when that woman touched the hem of that garment because she had heard several chapters back that other people did it and it encouraged her faith. She's like, if it worked for them, that's all I got to do is fight my way through these people and touch the hem of her garment. He'll do it for me, too. When I first got saved, I, me and my brother-in-law, we, we were smoking chimneys working together. And all of a sudden, one time, he's not smoking. I'm like, George, how did you quit smoking? Eh, it's just the Lord. That's what he would say to him. Just the Lord. But really, how'd you do it? It's just the Lord. That's all I can tell you. I'm like, okay. Well, anyways, I saw what God did for him, just delivered him like that. I said, you got any desire to smoke? Nope. Just the Lord. Okay. But I'll tell you what, though. When the night I got saved, got the baptism of the Holy Spirit... And the guy's like, I mean, I've been smoking right up to the time I got in that driveway. And the guy said, I'm going to pray for you for the spirit of nicotine and you'll be delivered. And I'm like, I will be. You know why I know? Because I know he did it for George and he's going to do it for me. Amen. And he right. did. That's right. Praise God. That's the way it works. So we can be encouraged by others' testimonies. Amen? Amen. Seeing God's faithfulness. That's why how it works. All right. So back in Mark 8, if you go back there. We're going to look at the disciples because they also suffered from a degree of spiritual blindness, but for different reasons. So they get in the ship after this encounter with the Pharisees and they head for the other side of the lake. And it says that the disciples had forgotten to take bread with them. And so this is the third time they're in a boat and their lack of understanding comes out. So the first time is back in chapter 4, verses 35 to 41. You'll remember that? Jesus is with them. He's in the boat asleep, and this huge storm comes, and they're terrified by that storm. Lord, don't you even care that we're all going to perish, they said to him. And when he stood up and stilled that storm in the winds, they were more afraid of him than they were of that storm. That's what it says. It says this, after that, they looked at him and they said, What manner of man is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? And so they didn't understand who he was. Who is this guy? They don't know yet. They don't have understanding, do they? And the second one, you're in eight, just turn back to six. There's another storm, and this one, Jesus comes walking on the sea to him. 
And again, it says they were sore amazed when they see him on the sea, sore amazed in themselves beyond measure and wondered. And they hadn't comprehended who he was because look at verse 52 in chapter six. Here is why it says, for they considered not the miracle of the loaves. Why? It says, for their heart was hardened. His disciples, that's what it says. And we can be the same way before we pick on them too much. Their heart was hardened. And here we're having it again. Look over here in chapter 8, verses 17 and 18. It says, and when Jesus knew it, they're worried about not having bread. He said unto them, why reason ye because you have no bread? Perceive ye not yet? Neither understand, have ye your heart yet hardened? He's talking to them in another boat saying this stuff. Having eyes see ye not, having ears hear ye not, and do you not remember? In verse 21, he said unto them, how is it that you do not understand? Is what he's asking. So he's getting on them pretty hard, isn't he? Because he's saying, man, you guys have seen enough healings, enough deliverances. But listen, especially when you were in a boat with me and you saw me still that storm, you saw me walking on the water. And these two times of multiplying loaves and fishes to feed this crowd, he's saying, how is it that you don't understand? My disciples. So he goes on to tell him, he says, you need to take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the leaven of of Herod. And so leaven in the Bible is almost always put in a negative way, in the New Testament especially, because it's considered to have this spreading, corrupting influence over everything it touches. And Paul said that, know ye not that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? And so what's Jesus doing here? He's warning the disciples that the teachings of the Pharisees will affect them, and it will spread throughout their hearts, and it will even affect others because that's the nature of leaven and so what was the leaven of the pharisees and of herod well i already said it was their doctrine it was their teaching but what specifically what doctrine or teaching would the pharisees and herod have had in common because the pharisees were keepers of the law wanting to be right before god herod didn't care about any of that he was a political man and they didn't care about his politics so what would those two have had in common well, the first thing is they were both unbelievers, unbelieving, and they had an unbelief. They'd seen all of what Jesus had done. They'd both heard about it. They were not going to make him their Messiah, their king. They were not going to submit to him no matter what they had heard. God's proofs that he had given wasn't enough for either one of those two. Because why? They just had worldly ambitions, didn't they? They cared about material things and the things of the world. And the second thing they had in common was they were both opposed to Jesus. Both of them opposed to him. He's telling them, you can't be affected by that, by that leaven of them. It'll affect your faith. Because what happened? That leaven of the Pharisees, that fact that everybody knew we're going to get kicked out of the synagogue. We're going to be disfellowshipped if we follow the Lord Jesus Christ because of what these people are. And what happened to Peter? Caused him to deny the Lord three times, didn't it? Caused all the disciples to forsake him. They don't want to be part of that. And it will affect your faith. And Jesus hadn't prayed for them in their faith, they wouldn't have had it. Like I said, all the Pharisees and Herod cared about was their worldly positions, their worldly possessions. And Jesus is telling them, and he's telling us, don't let them affect you that way. Don't be like them. He's telling them, you guys are so preoccupied with bread 
worrying about getting bread, that you're not having the spiritual sight that you should have. It's affecting your spiritual vision. Don't you understand, he's telling them? Don't you understand? I can provide everything you need. And you're worrying about that, and it's affecting your spiritual perception of things. It is. Because that's what he says to them. When he says that, have you eyes? Don't you see? Verse 18, having ears, hear ye not. And he says, don't you remember? Think about this, he says. Verse 19, when I break the five loaves among the 5,000, how many baskets full of fragments took you up? And they're like 12. Oh, their math's good. In verse 20, he says, and when the seven among 4,000, how many baskets full of fragments took you up? And they said, seven. And he said to them, well, then, how is it then you're worrying about bread? How is it that you don't understand? You're just all caught up into worrying about these things with men. So they do have some understanding. So if you just read Mark's account, you would think, man, these guys didn't understand anything. You read Matthew's account, though, and it gives us a little insight. So after Jesus said, how is it that you do not understand that I spake it not unto you concerning bread, that you should be aware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees? Then it says, after he said that to him, Mark stops, but Matthew goes on to say, then understood they how he bade them not beware of the leaven of bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So here's the point. Their understanding comes, but it doesn't come easily to them. He's constantly having to work with them. Has that not been the case in your life? If you've been saved more than a year, two years, aren't there things that you thought or you realize, I didn't understand that right at all? Man, I mean, I can look back, things I did, attitudes I had, and sometimes God dealt with me severely, sometimes it was gently. But through the years, you realize, man, I thought I saw things right, I was sincere just like that, but I didn't. And God makes adjustments in us, doesn't he? And that's what he's doing here. It's not that they aren't comprehending anything, but they just weren't comprehending things exactly right. And so in Matthew's account, Jesus also said, O ye of little faith, why reason ye among yourselves because you have no bread? Now, the Pharisees didn't have faith, so he didn't tell the disciples they didn't have any faith. They had enough faith and understanding to forsake all, to follow Jesus, but they still had eyes that didn't fully see and ears that didn't fully hear. Right? And that's the way it is with all of us. Our little faith kept them walking with Jesus and following him. But like us, they were totally dependent on him to give them light and understanding. We've talked about this before, but we need to see we are totally dependent on him to comprehend and understand spiritual truth. We are at his mercy, so to speak. And he says, if we seek, we'll find. He's not trying to withhold us from us, but that's the way it is. So Peter, he makes his great confession. His eyes were open enough to see that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus told him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. But his vision still wasn't full or clear. And you know why? He had worldly concerns. So Jesus tries to say, hey, I'm going to have to suffer and die. And that affected Peter's vision. He couldn't see it that way. That isn't going to be his Messiah. And so he needs to have a second touch from the Lord, doesn't he? After the resurrection, so to speak. And that's where the story of this blind man comes in. That's why it's put where it is. To let us know that we all have spiritual blindness to one degree, but it will be overcome by a touch from the Lord Jesus Christ. And more, more touches if it's required. So 
I wanna point out a few things here in this account here with this blind man to finish up. Number one is, look at the steps that took place here. And we see in verse 23, it says, he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of town. And so what does Jesus do? He leads that blind man by the hand and he's gonna take him out there and personally deal with him, isn't he? It's gonna be one-on-one, personal dealings with him. And I heard this, somebody said this, a vital truth is we need to learn that our spiritual darkness will only be displaced by our personal dealings with Jesus. That is how we get our spiritual sight back. And when I heard that, you know what that made me think of? I'm thinking, that sounds like Revelation 3 and the church of Laodicea. Because Jesus told that church, he says, you don't know it. And that was the disciples' problem. They didn't know how blind they were. They didn't know what their needs were. Jesus had to keep telling them and pointing it out to them. But he worked with them. And Jesus told that church at Laodicea, you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. He says, you're blind. And he says, I counsel you, amongst other things, to buy ISAV that you can anoint your eyes to see. And after he tells them that, he says, I want you to repent. And then we're talking about it's one-on-one is how you get delivered to this spiritual blindness. And after that, he says, if any man will hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and sup with him and he with me. And I looked that up. He's speaking to the church. But when he's talking about getting their spiritual sight back in communion with him, it says, if any man, I looked it up, it's singular. It's one-on-one. He's going to lead us out by the hand. He's going to sup with us one-on-one. It's not talking about, he does sup with us as a church, right? Tonight, that's what we're doing. But to get you delivered to your spiritual blindness, it's going to be you and the Lord Jesus Christ standing at your door and knocking. And when you open up, he'll lead you by the hand and have communion with you. He'll minister to you. He'll deliver you of whatever spiritual blindness you need to be delivered of. And we all have something. And that's what that time with the Lord is all about. And the second thing I want to see here, this is the only healing we have in the New Testament that is gradual in two stages. It doesn't come all at once. So answer me this. Why did the understanding of the disciples not come all at once? Because it took many times of explaining, rebuking. And you know what else? The disciples had to stay with Jesus. They had to stay with him. They couldn't leave. When you leave him, it's all gone then, isn't it? But when everybody else had forsook him in John 6, and he looks at them, and he says, what about you guys? And I'm sure Peter's thinking, man, I don't understand half of what you just said. Sounds like cannibalism to me, too. But I'm convinced of this much, that you, Lord, have the words of eternal life, and where else am I going to go? Are we convinced of that? I mean, I'm convinced of that. I don't understand everything I read in my Bible, but I'll tell you one thing I am convinced of, that Jesus Christ has the words of life that I need. And I'm not going to leave him because I never found it anywhere else when I was looking as a young man. So sometimes we're saying understanding is a process. So like I said, you look down here in verse 29 of chapter 8. And here Peter gets his eyes open. He says unto him, he asked Peter, whom do you say that I am? And Peter answers and said unto him, you are the Christ. It adds in Matthew, the son of the living God. That's seeing men as trees walking, isn't it? He's seeing something there. But he doesn't have all the light. Then the next chapter, which we'll get into, chapter 9, you know what else? He gives them more understanding. Their visions broaden more. You know why? He takes three of them up to a mount. 
his glory is revealed on the Mount of Transfiguration, more understanding is given to him. They still don't have the full picture, though, because we know in Luke 24, you read Luke 24, and what happens after the resurrection? It said Jesus came and appeared to them, and he explained about his death, his suffering, and his resurrection. And it said that he spoke through the entire Old Testament, went through and showed him that. And then it says this, then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. Who's the one and the only one that could open their understanding to the scriptures? We don't have it within ourselves. The Lord Jesus Christ. And he said it wasn't going to happen before then. And that's when it happened. He laid his hand on their eyes, so to speak. And that's when they understood. Open their understanding after the resurrection. So he'd been doing it a little bit of a time, right? That's what we see, just like this man. First they see men as trees walking. Then they see he's the son of God, lays his hands on their eyes. A final time opens their understanding after the resurrection. And they're seeing the whole picture then. They're seeing things clearly like this blind man. Amen. And that's what Paul said he prayed for the Ephesians, that God would give them that spirit of understanding. And revelation in what? The knowledge of him. That's what we continually need to pray for. If I had time, we'd go to Proverbs 2. And you read Proverbs 2, and he says, that's what we need to seek after. Understanding. Seek it like gold. And it says, if you do that, it's going to keep you from the wolf that's trying to deceive you and draw you away from truth. That's what it says. You know, so we read this. Haven't you done that? You read the account after the loaves and fishes and you ask yourselves, how in the world could the disciples be that blind and not remember? But how many times I could think for myself, how many times has God performed some kind of great work in your life and you're all excited and it's not that much long after that and you get in a similar type of trial and it's all of a sudden it's like you're starting all over again. And Jesus will say, wait a minute, don't you remember back then I was faithful to you? And I'm not going to fail you again. I don't just come and go and leave somebody hanging like that's not the kind of God I am. That's not the way he is. Do you know what the greatest hindrance to our spiritual sight is? So Peter made that great confession. He saw who Jesus was. But then when Jesus explained that he was going to have to suffer and die, Peter rebuked him. And what was his problem? Jesus told him, he says, Peter, your problem is that you are concerned about the things of men. That's what's hindering your vision, Peter, the things of men. And he said in Luke's account of the soil and the seed that the cares, the riches, and the pleasures of this life will choke the word. Choke your eyeballs, your spiritual eyeballs. You won't be able to see right. And so what I want to end is saying is a clear understanding of God and his ways and to walk in his presence comes from a commitment to obey his word at any cost. You want to be kept from end time deception, from the grand delusion, the strong delusion that's coming. It's going to come from your understanding will be open when you commit yourself to walking in God's ways, no matter what are the cost. And I want us to see that if you would turn back to Psalm 111. Verse 10, and it says there, Psalm 111, verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And look what it says, good understanding have all they that what? 
do his commandments. That's where your understanding is going to come. And then, if you would, please, we're going to look at several places. Just turn over to Psalm 119. It's not very far away. And we'll look at three places there in Psalm 119 that's saying the same thing. Psalm 119, verse 73, the psalmist writes, Thy hands have made me and fashioned me. And here we're talking about understanding. Give me understanding that I may learn thy commandments. Look over in verse 99, Psalm 119, 99. I have more understanding than all my teachers. Why? For thy testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the ancients. That's some wisdom there. And how does he have that? Why? He says, because I keep thy precepts. I have refrained my feet from every evil way that I might keep thy word. I have not departed from thy judgments, for you have taught me. How sweet are thy words unto my taste, yea, sweeter than honey to my mouth. And look at verse 104. Through thy precepts, I get what? Understanding. Therefore, he says, I hate every false way. And over in verse 129 of Psalm 119, he says, Thy testimonies are wonderful. Therefore, does my soul keep them. And then the entrance of thy word gives light. It gives understanding unto the simple. Well, that's not hard to understand, is it? We want to have the understanding that we need. We just have to determine that we are going to obey the word of God. So a clear understanding of God and his ways and having his presence in our life, which I would hope that was what everybody in here wants to have. It comes from a commitment to obey his word at any cost. So I would ask you, how's your spiritual vision tonight? How is your spiritual vision tonight? You guys have a desire to walk with the Lord? I'm sure you do. Have your spiritual vision open and be committed to keeping his word. That's what it's going to come as a result of listening to his voice, spending time with him. We've talked about that and then obeying that. Now, he made this great promise. This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. John 14, 21. The Lord Jesus Christ says this to us. He that has my commandments and keeps them, he it is that loves me. And he that loves me shall be loved of my father and I will love him and I will manifest myself to him. And so the Lord promises if we will keep his commandments, that's the way we show that we love him. And he says, I will manifest myself. It says, I will reveal myself. I will disclose myself to that person. It doesn't get any better than that, whether you realize it or not. We need to be like the two blind men. Jesus opened their eyes and they saw him, not only physically, but for who he really is, the Lord of heaven and earth. And that revelation we're saying tonight can only come, so to speak, from a touch of the Lord Jesus Christ and revelation from the heavenly Father. Flesh and blood doesn't reveal things to us, but my Father which is in heaven. Amen? That's the way it works. And part of that is, and hopefully this is happening, so we need to have a revelation of his holiness, but we also need to have a revelation of his love for us. And that is Ephesians 3, Paul's prayer. He says, I'm just praying I am on my knees that you all will understand and be able to comprehend with these spiritual eyes the love of the Lord Jesus Christ, which passes knowledge. 
passes knowledge, but yet we can have it. Amen? Amen. And that's what he'll do for us, a touch from the Lord Jesus Christ. And bam, we can see him in ways we never had and be encouraged and grounded in his love. Amen? And his care for us. Let's pray. And Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word once again and that we can see that as long as we walk with you, Lord, you will continue in the many ways you do to open our understanding that we can see you as you really are. And I just ask that you'll do that for all of us here, Father, that we can grow in our knowledge of you and your faithfulness and your willingness to help us, your willingness to deliver us, that we can see you, Lord, as you are in your holiness and have a holy fear of you, Lord we can walk with you in all the ways and just to know your presence in our lives in these last days that we can be kept from deception that's coming. And I'd ask you that you'll do that for everyone in this room tonight, Lord, and I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you stand to your feet. You deserve the glory and the honor. Lord, we lift our hands and worship as we bless your holy name. You deserve the glory in the eye. Lord, we lift our hands and worship as we bless your holy name. You are great. You do miracles so great. There is no one else like you. Oh, there is no one else like you, for you are